Okay, doke. So in that Bible, it's page 100, no, 1,157. And if you want, you can swipe or tap or whatever you do with your phone. Um, So it's 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we're starting from verse 5. Really small. Okay. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey, wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now, and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work is open to me, and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one, then, should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity." Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labours at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and... Achikus, mm-hmm. arrived, because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send your greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this letter in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to you all in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to pray so I can catch my breath. Father, I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for these words. And Lord, I pray that as we um, listen together, as we delve into your word, that you would speak to our hearts and to our minds. Holy Spirit, we want to give you our ears, we want to give you our minds, we want to give you our hearts, and we ask that you would come now and plant in our hearts what you want us to hear, what you want us to know, what you want us to take away from this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so when I was uh, little, I used to write letters to my mum and dad when I particularly wanted something, and that was because I couldn't do confrontation. And so every time uh, I was trying to persuade them for something that I wanted, I would end up getting frustrated, or I'd cry, or I'd mumble my words out, or we'd end up in in an argument. And I remember one particular uh, occasion, I really wanted my ears pierced, so I think it was about 10 and so every time we'd have a conversation about it, mum would say no, dad would say no. Well, actually, would say ask your mum, and mum would say no. And, um, <coughs> and so I would uh, go up to my bed at night, and I would write letters, and I would write a list of reasons as to why I should get my ears pierced. But at the end of the letter, I would always sum up exactly what it was that I wanted them to take away from my list of reasons for getting my ears pierced. And often that would be some sort of emotional manipulation and so uh, I'd 
<laughs> this is really cringe. I would draw a picture of an ear before and after. So before the piercing, after the piercing, look which one looks better. And I'd be like, oh, mom, this would be great because we could like bond and it'll be amazing. And we can have mother-daughter earrings. And yeah, so I would like, <laughs> it's really weird. I don't do that anymore. But um, uh, <laughs> uh, but the, the whole point of that is that uh, I would sum up exactly what it is that I wanted my mum and dad to take away from that letter. And um, in the kind of final chapter of my letter, because <laughs> it was a long letter. Um, and uh, Paul is very similar in this instance. Um, he uh, sums up in a few words, in a couple of verses, exactly what he wants the Corinthian church to take away from this letter. And so those words that I want to focus on today are in verse 13 and 14, and that is, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. And I feel like this is Paul bringing to the surface some of the key things um, to ground everything he has just written to the church. And um, when I was thinking and praying about this passage and what it was that God was speaking to me about, I felt like this was potentially a word in season for us as as a church we're going into spreading life phase two. And so um, that requires sending out new churches and planting new sites other way around, planting new churches and sending out new uh, sites. And uh, there's going to be lots and lots of crazy things, I'm sure, that we're going to be doing for God and in God as a church. But I felt that God really wanted to speak to us tonight specifically on these um, couple of verses. Um, And although it may sound a little bit basic, um, you know, be strong, be courageous, stand firm, I feel that we just have to go back to basics in order that we ground ourselves in some real biblical truths for the journey ahead. And so we just want to equip ourselves as best we can for what God has for us. And so Paul inserts these two sentences quite abruptly, I think, into the text. So he's talking about Apollos, then he talks about Stephanus, but bang, slap in the middle, like kind of a punch to the gut, is these verses. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. And the language that he uses, the direct kind of translation, is uh, is that of a military kind of language. And so um, scholars and commentators, commentators, that's the word, Mm -hmm. Um, they would say that it's similar language to that of a commander commanding his troops in battle. Now, some of the most epic speeches um, that we've heard have come from screenwriters and authors uh, for film and for reenactments and also some of our most beloved historical figures. And I just want to kind of wrap this up in some illustrations. And so, Dave, do you want to come up and read a little bit from... uh, This is Braveheart, and it's William Wallace. Scottish accent. I, fight and you may die, run and you'll live, at least for a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Wow. Thanks, Dave. Uh, 
Chris, do you want to come up? You've got a lot to follow. This is Maximus from Gladiator. (laughs) Three weeks from now, I will be harvesting my crops. Imagine where you will be, and it will be so. Hold the line. Stay with me. If you find yourself alone, riding in the green fields, with the sun on your face, do not be troubled, for you are in Elysium, and you are already dead. (laughs) Brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Thank you. And finally, can we have Aragon, Tom, do you want to come to stage? You need to run. (laughs) Sorry. Sons of Gondor, of Rohan, my brothers, I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. (laughs) An hour of wolves and shattered shields, when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West. (laughs) Thank you. That's the most fun you're going to have in this sermon. So, um, now if I were in any of those armies, I would definitely be convinced to stand firm, not because it's, you know, Mel Gibson and. What's the other guy? Vigo Matessin and Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> They've got nothing on Chris's beard. Anyways, um, are we equally convinced and rallied up with Paul's kind of um, exhorts and Paul's um, desire to kind of rally the troops? Where are the troops in this instance? So we're going to look specifically at the next couple of uh, verses and break them down. So the first part, be on your guard, verse 13. It's also translated into be alert, be watchful, be vigilant. It just depends on what translation of the Bible that you use. But Paul is literally saying, um, keep yourself awake, keep your eyes peeled. And he's not no, uh, calling us to a life of insomnia, but uh, in a spiritual sense, we're being charged to keep our eyes open and to stay awake. As troops get ready for battle, there's a watchman, there's someone who is making sure that there's no ambush, that there's no, um, no enemies about to strike while the rest of the troops can sleep. And so in a similar way, we also have to watch out and be diligent so that we um, have got our eyes open for the enemy potentially. The Corinthian church up until this point in the letter had had a host of issues. So they'd had leadership issues, they'd had arguments and fights within the church. They were disorganized in their vision and the way that they held service. There were Christians seeing other Christians with sexual immorality, drunkenness, pride. The list goes on and on and on. So instead of Paul fighting fire with fire in the Corinthian church, he speaks to the heart of the issue. And instead of merely treating the symptoms, he wants to get to the core problem and address the cause. So he's imploring them to wake up, to properly pay attention to their spiritual lives, to develop a discipline of spiritual watchfulness rather than spiritual ignorance. How often do we use the phrase, oh, I didn't see that one coming. I don't know if you say it in that accent. (laughs) 
so I say in my head. Um, or, ooh, that caught me by surprise. You have to say it with ooh to start off with. Um, now, often that can be the case. We literally didn't see it coming, and there's nothing that we could do about it. But sometimes there are things that we can do to stop us having that reaction. For example, if we're in a dry season, can we think back, well, what was I doing three months ago? Was I in the Word daily? Was I spending time with God? Was I surrounding myself with fellow Christians who were building me up and encouraging me and challenging me? There are things that we can be watching out for in order to hopefully prevent some stuff happening in the future. Jesus asked us to keep watch more than once in the Gospels. In Matthew 24, he says, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Matthew 26 says, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Mark 13 says, What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Each of these times, Jesus is pointing out to us that we need to watch out, be alert, stay awake, and keep our eyes on him. Matthew Henry is a biblical scholar and writes a lot of commentaries on um, on scripture, and he says this, To watch for Christ's coming is to maintain that temper of mind which we would be willing that our Lord should find us in. I'm going to say that again because I just think it's really good. To watch for Christ's coming is to maintain that temper of mind which we would be willing that our Lord should find us in. See, watchfulness sees temptation and attack come in, and prayer enables us to withstand it. I like to think of it like a sculpture. When you've got a sculpture, let's say it's made out of clay, you've got the sculptor um, chipping away at it and molding it and making it into a masterpiece. But if he's not watching carefully, then he can be chipping away at it and he hits a weakness and that weakness may be part of the nose or it may be part of a leg and all of a sudden it's completely chopped off and the sculpture doesn't look what it is meant to look like. And that can be like us. If we're not watching what's going on, things can chip away at us and all of a sudden we're like, oh, that's not what I'm meant to look like. But instead we need to have our eyes fixed on God and give Jesus the tools to be sculpting us rather than and our weaknesses and rather than the enemy. So one of the things that we can be thinking this evening and in the future is, am I spiritually awake? What is my focus? What do I feed my heart and my mind and my soul with through my eyes? Paul then goes on to say, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and strong. That's in, again, verse 13. When troops are getting ready for battle, <clears throat> you see, you often see them waiting till their officer tells them to move, and so you'll hear the word steady or stand firm. I would be rubbish as a commander. Um, <clears throat> but the difference in troops is the reaction to those words. Sometimes you'll see troops that do stand firm and they're steady and they're waiting there and the enemy can be coming to attack but they're still there and the enemy might still be in their face but until their commander says go, they stand still. But other troops, you can see, they have no faith and no trust in the commander and they scatter as soon as they see the enemy coming. I feel like this is what Paul is trying to highlight to us in this particular passage. That when he is telling us to stand firm in the faith, this isn't just a surface level message of believe what I have told you, but rather it's put your faith and trust into Jesus. See, it's not our faith in words that will keep us standing firm, but our faith in the one who spoke those words that will keep us standing firm. 
time and time again in the scriptures we are told to stand firm. In Isaiah it says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. In Second Chronicles it says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. In Exodus, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Ephesians, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, there's quite a distinct parallel between what he writes in the Corinthian letter and what he writes in the Thessalonian letter here. It says this, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Seeing most of those passages, again, there's that military undertone or context to the passage. In Exodus, you've got the Israelites who are... Um, They've just fled Egypt, and so they've got the Egyptians on one side, and then they've got the Red Sea on the other, and so they've got the enemy basically right in their faces, and they're being told, stand firm. In Ephesians, again, there's that military undertone of putting on the armor of God. Um, Paul isn't suggesting to the Corinthians or to the Thessalonians to have an airy-fairy perspective on faith but he's clear in stating that the teachings and the words of Jesus are that we must hold fast to and stand firm upon and Paul's statement of standing firm goes hand in hand with being strong and being courageous we have to realize that it's not through us that we're strengthened um, and have courage but it's in Jesus that we are strengthened and are given courage Paul wasn't mocking the Corinthian church when he said, be strong and be courageous. He wasn't saying to a bunch of people, you know, man up and suck. Well, he actually is, but um, I'll tell you that in a sec. But um, (laughs) he's not just saying, oh, sort it out yourself. You have to strengthen yourself. You know, when you say to someone who's maybe weak, be strong, that's kind of a kick in the teeth. That's not what Paul is saying here. The words in the original text are literally, act like a man, be brave, and continue to be strengthened. But it's not be strengthened once and that will last you for your life. It's be strengthened continuously. That's the premise of that word, be strong. And the emphasis is also on the be strengthened part. It's not something that we can do in our own strength, but we must be strengthened by something else and that something else is Jesus. So last year... um, for Chris and I, it was particularly painful and difficult for various different reasons. Um, but there was one particular piece of scripture that kind of helped me through it and kept me going, and I'm going to read that uh, tonight because it's perfect. But now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. And so at first when I read it, it was, it was all right. Like I was like, oh, that's nice. It's great scripture, like something to pin on the fridge. Um, but it didn't really impact me. However, the more I read it over and over and meditated on it and let it sink into my heart and sink into my mind and just be me, the more it, it changed me and the more that it helped me to get through a particularly difficult time. And... For me, it wasn't, 
just reading it once that helped me, but it was by meditating on it and learning it and letting it change me. See, it's not through our own ways that we're strengthened, but it's through Jesus that we're strengthened. It's through him that strengthens us and gives us courage. And it will be a continual process as well. But how often do we think about when, things are, when we're facing things or we're in day-to-day life and stuff gets difficult? How often do we think, but I'm not strong enough or I don't have enough courage? Many people in scripture reacted the same way. Moses acted like that when he got his call at the burning bush. He was like, hmm, really, God? Is that what you want me to do? But God gave him his staff of power and he gave him Aaron as his mouthpiece. In David and Goliath, it was others who didn't think David was strong enough. Yet David defeated Goliath and it was through the help of the Lord that he did that. In the Psalms, we read so many different psalmists who are saying, they're crying out in weakness and they're saying, God, I need you, I'm in a pit. And we see time and time again, God responds to the call and he lifts them out of the pit and he puts them on solid rock and he puts a new song in their mouth. Jesus is our rock, both as a church and as individuals. So are there things in our lives tonight that we know we need God's strength and God's courage in? Do we know we're standing firm in the faith? The idea of it just is too much. The good thing is we've got Jesus. And so in verse 14, Paul wraps it all up by saying, Do everything in love. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. It's like a good fajita. It's like uh, you've got the wrap, and then uh, in the wrap you put your chicken mix or your mince mix, whatever takes your fancy, and then you put the guac and then the sour cream and the cheese and what else? Do you put salsa? There we go. And uh, it's the wrap that keeps it all together and keeps it mess-free and ideally stops it dribbling down your top Um, and I feel like this is what Paul is saying in this particular passage do everything in love that's like the wrap it's keeping it all together so that's both the love of our Lord in verse 22 and our love for each other in verse 24 Paul is showing that in battle the greatest armor and the greatest tool that we have is love he has mentioned this many times in his writings in the New Testament, especially in 1 Corinthians 8. He talks about love builds up, knowledge puffs up. But as we fix our eyes on God, our love for him grows, and therefore our love for others blossoms. And our spiritual eyes become widened. We become strengthened in him and in each other. It is in and through the love of Jesus that we stand firm individually and as a church. In the context to the, um, of the letter to the Corinthian church, Christ-likeness is a solution to their problems as individuals and the church. Do everything in love means literally putting others before themselves. And that meant no more feuds for them, no more spiritual show-offs, no more lawsuits between Christians, no more drunkenness and arrogance. For the, Chris, uh, for the Corinthian church, applying this principle of love meant a completely different-looking church. And so Paul is giving us a very practical way in which we can see the initial commands acted out and completed through love. And so when we think about that, what does that look like for us, especially in this season of spreading life, phase two? 
As we step into our call as a church and into his promises, we know that the enemy is probably going to hit back. That tends to be what happens when we try and take um, land for the kingdom of God, is we've got this massive vision to see the future of the Church of Scotland uh, completely rewritten. But we do have the promise that God has won the battle. But equally, we need to put on love in order that we stay in the race. So what does that look like for us as a church and individually? How can we be radically loving those around us so that we can see them built up and strengthened and encouraged through Jesus in their day-to-day life? Are we carving out time individually to fall more and more in love with our Heavenly Father, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit? Think about like this service and we've got lots of different people from different churches as well and so obviously for for us as a church we're doing this spreading life together thing but we don't know what's going on in your church and so what can that look like in your congregation what can that look like in your church family as well as we work together as a united church in Aberdeen and in Scotland there are lots of things we can be thinking about to see this realized this vision realized for church in Aberdeen and this nation John Wesley says Love rules the whole life, animating all our tempers and passions, directing all our thoughts, words, and actions. I love that. It just encapsulates everything. So as I land this, um, when I was listening, uh, sorry, when I was typing up all my notes, I uh, was listening to film music, um, as you do, and uh, I was listening to one particular piece, and it's Time by Hans Zimmer, and it's the title piece of Inception. Does anyone know the piece that I'm talking about? Yes, you'll know that it's epic. Anyways, um, as I was listening to it, I felt like God kind of spoke to me through it in terms of just wrapping this whole thing up, and uh, go home and listen to it, because it is just brilliant, but... um, to start off with Hans Zimmer has the piano and then get some moody chords in there and then the strings come in and then you've got the woodwind and you've got the brass and then you've got the electric guitar and um, it slowly slowly builds layer by layer into this beautiful masterpiece of a composition now if you take every part of the piece of music on its own yes it's nice and it's alright to listen to but it's only when it comes together that you reach the beauty of the piece of music that you reach that kind of crescendo um, and uh, it's like that here for us when we think about um, being on our guard standing firm in the faith being strong, be strengthened being courageous we have to do all of that in love it's when we do that together that we see the masterpiece unfold and the beauty of it is as with an orchestra when they're playing a piece of music there's a composer and there's a conductor and for us we have that promise that that composer and that conductor is God and so he's the one that's guiding us and he's the one that's layering things together and creating the masterpiece and so we can have full trust and authority in him that we can put all our trust in him as he guides us through the next season as a church and individually. And so I just want to end on that. So why don't we stand?